Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the travel industry continues to call for COVID restrictions to be eased at Canada's airports. Is there more to be done? Yes. And that's why we have these working groups where airports, airlines and others are working together. We uh, in government are assessing and reassessing. We're taking advice from our stakeholders. And as I said, there will be new measures that will be announced soon. Conservative leadership campaigns await the final membership list. Thousands of Canadians across this country have joined our party for the first time, many of them. And a poll finds roughly half of Canadians lack trust in the government and the news media. There's a, a sort of collapse in the consensus of what the truth is and how we go about determining the truth. It's Thursday, June 9th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. So anybody who's been on social media in the last few days knows that there has been quite a bit of chaos uh, at Canada's airports, in particular at Pearson Airport in Toronto. Uh, And the travel industry is calling for COVID restrictions to be eased now. There's a lot of Questions being asked of the transport minister and other government officials. Uh, what do you make of this? Do you think the government is going to look at easing some of these restrictions? And is there anything else that can be done to to respond to what we're seeing uh, in terms of the experience, the horrible experience people are having at airports? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a big question. I mean, it does seem to be mainly centered around Pearson in Toronto. Um, I had a friend who flew into Montreal yesterday and, and there were no particular problems there. But I think Pearson and, and perhaps Vancouver have been uh, are pretty badly hit with with tailbacks. Um, many people have seen the video of the ex-NHL, ex-NHL player Ryan Whitney yeah. who was, uh, he was delayed. You know, that video got about 2 million views. They landed at 3 p.m. one day and he didn't get out until 10 a.m. the next day and he you know, lost his luggage. Anyway, it was out a huge schmozzle, and it's just a microcosm of what's happening. And um, it's it's almost inexplicable. I mean, obviously, during COVID, a lot of people left the tourism industry. Katza, which handles the security, is down, you know, a 1,000 people or so. The Canada Border Services Agency is down people. They're both trying to rehire. The minister's out there saying, look, we've hired 400 people for, for Katza. Uh, this will mean the security lines are lower, are, are reduced. But obviously, it takes a while to train these people, and they're still not up to full, full complement of people. It, the inexplicable thing is that everybody knew the travel industry would recover, and uh, you know the government seems to have really dropped the ball here. And the government, in the widest sense, you know, um, just a couple of stats: Qatar received uh, 917 million dollars in its budgetary allocation. It only spent uh, $686 million of that, so it lapsed 25% of its budget. Katzen knew that travel, travel would triple from 2021 levels, and yet, obviously, it didn't, it didn't gear up. And I think the same is probably true of the Canada Border Services Agency. So, so these are huge uh, structural problems that are causing a lot of these, pro- these, uh, these um, delays and people landing and and uh, getting stuck on the tarmac. And then you layer on top of that COVID restrictions, which, you know, I think the government keeps saying it's waiting for the science to tell it to, to lift these restrictions. You know, you've got, to, you've got to fill in the Arrive Canada app. You've got 
random testing. There's all sorts of things that take, that lengthen the processing time. And, and they result in huge delays. I mean, in April, Greater Toronto Airport Authority said it held 2,200 planes on the tarmac. Um, 18,000 international passengers were held on board for longer than 30 minutes, 3,000 for longer than 75 minutes. Neither, this is a, if this is your introduction to Canada, you're hardly going to come away impressed. Yeah. And, um, and, and yet the COVID numbers, I mean, I looked at this last week and the COVID statistics suggested that the number of hospital beds occupied was falling 15% week on week and there were fewer than 1,000 cases in the country. You know, that seems to me to suggest that the science is saying we don't need these restrictions, yet the government has extended them until the end of June. Meanwhile, Omar al the, the transport minister, who's in charge of all this, is getting pummeled with questions and he's getting very testy. He's saying, told reporters that he, when he's got something to say, he'll say it. It just seems to me that the government has completely lost the plot with this, in much the same way that they lost the plot with passports. I mean, who could not have predicted that there would be a, a soaring demand for passports yeah. as restrictions were lifted? And yet, people can't get passports online and they're having to queue up outside uh, passport offices. They, they can't get into them. And people are even hiring people to stand in line for them to get passports. I mean, it just seems to me that the government has forgotten that governments are meant to be there to deliver services to their citizens. And you might have all kinds of grand schemes and big ideas about what else you want to do in government, but that's the basic thing, and this government isn't doing it. Mm. All right. Let's turn to the Conservative leadership race, John, and I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on the the membership numbers. Where, you know, we're, we're in a bit of a, a kind of an interesting point in the leadership race because uh, we don't know what the final numbers are for the various campaigns and uh and it's going to take some time to find that out and now the campaigns can't sign up any more people who can vote in the in the final election that's going to happen later this year so it's kind of an interesting juncture isn't it yeah and all the all the campaigns are are really becalmed at the moment because uh the campaigns that are in you know second third fourth fifth sixth place are desperate to get the full list of members so that they can then start appealing to people who are supporting Pierre Poiliev. I mean, the other day, on Friday, Patrick Brown came out with a tweet saying that uh, he'd signed up 150,000 members, which sounded a big number. And then Poiliev came out on the Saturday and his campaign said he signed up 311,000 voters. You know, given that there were 140,000 voters, uh, members before uh, the campaign started, um, you know, that takes you over 600,000 members without even adding in Jean Charest, Leslie Lewis, Scott Aitchison and Roman Babers yeah. membership sign-ups. So, you know, this is a huge number. The party says it will be able to process that number and, and validate that they are all members in good faith and good standing. They say they'll be able to do that in the, in the requisite time frame, which I think is the end of June, if I'm not mistaken. It is kind of daunting for, for all the other campaigns, though, just the, the sheer scale of the Poiliev number. Now, we don't know that it's, uh, that it's a verifiable number. It's a claimed number. You know, as, as I said in the column yesterday, that, you know, there's something a little bit vulgar about these campaigns bragging about the number of new members they've signed up. It's like the toxic masculinity of men claiming sexual conquests. And the numbers in both cases should be treated with scepticism. 
yeah. because these numbers are always inflated. But uh, people I know who are, have handled these campaigns before, who are close to the to the scene as far as the, the Conservative Party, suggest that that Poilievre uh, number is so big that if it's anywhere close to being accurate, then he's just he's won it already. All right, we'll wait and see on I mean, that. Um, and I mean, it's, the, it's the magnitude of the advantage. You can yeah. you can quibble about the uh, about the numbers, and it does seem a, a, a massive number. But um, but it does seem to be too that while he was drawing all those people into those big rallies, he was signing up a lot of members too. Yeah. Well, speaking of numbers, um, there was there was a survey released yesterday by Abacus Data that uh, showed an alarming level of distrust in the news media and in government, with 44% of people agreeing with the statement that, quote, much of the information we receive from news organizations is false, and 52% saying they agree with the statement, quote, official government accounts of events can't be trusted. Um, what do you make of that? I, I, we, we know the numbers, you know, we know that trust is an issue, we know those numbers have been rising, but... It's quite something to think that that half of Canadians, roughly, are are thinking this way. I think it's a very very distressing number numbers. Um, you know, forty four percent don't trust news organisations. Fifty two percent don't trust government accounts. You know, I think we've got a there's a, a sort of collapse in the consensus of what the truth is and how we go about determining the truth. You, I encounter this, or we all encounter this on social media all the time. I mean, what is the alternative to uh, a, a free, free from government media which which uh, does its damnedest to tell the truth? And I think we we do have that, regardless of whether people think they're. I mean, I always think the bias is in the eye of the beholder, and, and usually it reflects the bias of that beholder rather than the bias of the news organisations. But but even if you do think, for example, that the CBC uh, is too left-leaning, what's the alternative? I mean, are, are we going to trust some uh, blogger in a basement, who's, uh, which is what seems to be the emerging as the, as the alternative? I do think it's a, an extremely distressing development. It's, it's, it's reinforced by, by social media, which essentially the most polarizing things attract attention and become contagious, especially if they promote fear or indignation. And what it allows is some of the demagogues to come along and say, there are problems here and I will fix them. And further on down the line, you don't have an independent media to to verify the behavior and the claims of that demagogue, to fact check them, to to stand up for, for uh, the traditions and institutions that we have uh, held dear and, and, and developed in this country. It's a distressing situation, and um, you know, I, I I don't know what the solution is, but it uh, but it is not in doing away with with uh, independent media. Yeah. All right, John. Great to have your perspective on all of this today. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. Thousands of Canadians across this country have joined our party for the first time. Many of them. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Hill Times, Tim Powers argues there could be some spinning going on 
when it comes to the number of memberships sold in some conservative leadership camps. Powers writes, Patrick Brown's campaign says it doesn't believe the Pierre Poiliev team's claim that it has signed up nearly 312,000 members to vote. Poiliev's campaign says that Brown's assertion that his team sold 150,000 members is baloney. Meanwhile, without releasing any numbers, Jean Charest's team says it has a path to victory. All the while, the Conservative Party itself says it must review and vet all the names submitted before it can release a figure. That exercise could take weeks. Until then, with no verified facts to play with, you can tell any story you want. In the Globe and Mail, Campbell Clark argues paths to the Conservative leadership are now improbable for anyone not named Pierre Poiliev. Clark writes, After a weekend of Conservative leadership campaigns playing show-and-tell with their membership recruitment figures, Jean Charest piped up to say he still has a clear path to victory. But that path is now much, much narrower, and it winds treacherously through improbable math. If the numbers his campaign has given are accurate, then Pierre Poiliev's new recruits make up roughly half the party membership. Unless they are concentrated in an unusually small number of ridings, he is within reach of winning the leadership in the first round. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues it's time for Pierre Poiliev to stop giving oxygen to the Conservatives' furious fringe. The Star writes, It seems there are no limits on what Pierre Poiliev is prepared to say to curry favour with the angry anti-vax constituency in his party. The same people prone to disappear down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories about globalist plots to run the world. This matters more than ever now that Poiliev is heading to almost certain victory in the leadership race. It's time for him to get serious and make clear where he stands. Becoming leader of a national party carries with it great responsibility. Fueling fringe theories and casting doubt on whether he would fight a future pandemic fails that test spectacularly. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will meet with the Governor of California and then make an announcement and hold a media availability, joined by Environment Minister Stephen Gilboa. He will then meet with U.S. President Joe Biden. Afterwards, the Prime Minister will attend the leaders' opening plenary session of the Summit of the Americas. He will then meet with the President of Argentina, followed by the CEO of Alphabet and Google. Finally, the Prime Minister and Sophie Gregoire Trudeau will attend a leader's dinner hosted by Joe Biden and the First Lady of the United States, Dr. Jill Biden. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend question period. International Trade Minister Mary Ng will attend the 2022 Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development Ministerial Council meeting in Paris. And Public Services Minister Philomena Tassi will announce the start of construction on the new modernized Gatineau Energy Centre in Gatineau, Quebec. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, June 9th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.